0: Psycho Steve presents (laughs)
1: Hey guys and girls and everything in between. This is your podcasting pal, Psycho Steve, here on Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Today we are very fortunate and blessed to have one of my favorite drummers. I've been fans of his for, I'm not going to say how many years because then it'll show how old we both are, but I want you guys and girls and everything in between to focus and listen to this man. He doesn't just play drums. He's also... A health expert because when I stood next to him, I was like Pee Wee Herman's stunt double. And I am talking about the legend, the myth, Mr. Bobby Rock. Good day, sir. What's up, bro? How's everything? Everything is fantastic. How about you?
2: The same, man. The same.
1: Awesome. So, first of all, thank you for very much for taking the opportunity to talk to us and you know shoot My the shit and make this happen.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure.
1: So, as we all know, that you've been a drummer for how many years now? Was drums your first instrument?
2: It was first and only. And man. But we're gonna blow this whole high how many years thing. I think it's
1: been forty five years I been playing now. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, were you self taught or did you get lessons or did you have a family member be a musician? Or how did it all become what it is now?
2: Well my dad had been a drummer as a hobbyist. And so he had uh, a—he wasn't actively playing when I came along, but he had an old set of Ludwig's up in the attic. So after watching a uh, a neighborhood kid play along with Black Sabbath Volume Four when I was about ten years old, that was it. I knew my destiny was to be a drummer. So we pulled the drums out of the attic, and I I guess for me it was a combination of uh, just jamming around, you know, uh, jamming with neighborhood kids, but also I I got. I drum lessons pretty early and I had a really special uh, band director from a really young age who got me started with the rudiments and reading music and all that. So for me it was like a combination of jamming in bands and having private lessons and always being involved with the school band and that kind of thing. So between all of those influences, I somehow managed to you
1: know, make some progress. Awesome. Now was your drum teacher an actual well-known drummer or he was just a teacher from like school kind of thing? He, he, was, he was known as probably
2: the best drummer in, in Houston at the time, his name is Randy May and he would go on, he was actually a bad motherfucker as a drummer, but he would go on to become uh, quite renowned in the drumming community for a lot of the different uh, inventions and variations that he, or uh, 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 different uh, gear related inventions that he had. Have like, you ever seen, like that uh, what they call the May EA biking System, where drummers uh, put the mics inside the toms, inside the drums.
1: Yeah, like triggers? uh,
2: It it was actually before triggers, although some people use the technique to trigger, but it's a way of miking the drums from the inside. Right. And so he was the one who invented essentially internal drum miking. Awesome. To this day, uh, in fact, I saw him at a trade show a year ago in L.A., so that was, was, I had not seen each other in years, so that was pretty cool. But he's actively has his own uh, business, his own company where he does a lot of the uh, these these crazy inventions wow yeah I was lucky to to have that guy man that's for sure
1: absolutely so your drumming style is not conventional and, and I would feel like your influences are Buddy Rich John Bonham wow that's just how I perceive you as because like I said I've been following you for close to 30 years now probably over 30 now but that's what I perceive. Like, growing up, like who would you say your influences are? Yeah, actually, that's very astutely. But- Said there, I uh
3: my influence are, are kind of kind of unconventional in that you know I started
2: out with the rock guys, you know Tommy Aldridge way back in the day, when he was with Black Oak Arkansas he was before Ozzy and Pat Travers. uh Page and of Deep Purple and yeah you know, that that, that uh, Made Japan double live record, like those were some of the the uh, and of course you know Bill Ward with Black Sabbath and, and just all the rock guys, right. I was, you know, stealing all my shit from early on. You know. <laughs> uh, and then as I got up into uh, junior high, high school, I started listening to, uh, like, the Buddy Rich and the Jazz Stuff and uh, other drummer Billy Cobham, and a lot of what they call the Fusion Drummers. So it was quite a mixed bag. And then once I went to you know, the Berklee School of Music in Boston out of high school, then it was just like, you know, everyone and everyone, you know, kind of like all different styles, uh, a lot of the different, you know, different funk to progressive jazz to uh, uh, everything but rock actually for a while there and then I kind of went full circle back into the rock thing and uh, wound up in the the invasion but prior to that it was just I always considered my approach to drumming to be kind of like a melting pot approach that's what I would call it it was like a little bit of everything all, all blended in together you know
1: right now before you went to Berkeley, did you know how to play to a click track you know, back then the,
2: the, the closest link we would get is uh, like a metronome. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay.
2: Uh, I think even uh, what little studio experience I had prior to Berkeley, uh, which wasn't much, coming out of high school. You know, uh, we didn't really deal with clip tracks
3: much. And for your listeners who aren't familiar, this is a, a very common thing when you record
2: in a studio. It's like a it's a it's a, a kind of, essentially an electronic metronomical reference, if you will. That you that the drummer plays with, so the tempo stays steady right. throughout the song. And so back, way back in the, the the prehistoric days, then it was it was less common. In fact, many of our favorite records were not cut to clip tracks, you know, throughout the seventies. Right. Uh, but in the eighties, became more prevalent, more common. And, and once I got up to Berkeley, that's when I was uh, indoctrinated to the ways of you know steady time, working with the metronome, and then obviously playing to a clip track in a studio environment.
1: Nice. Now, when you're not gigging or recording, do you still play every day? Pretty much. Uh, it's, it, it actually it kind of depends on... What's going on in the in, in my immediate future? You know, like right. uh, in other words,
2: if I if you know for I mean, I like to I like to do a little play every day just to stay loose. And sometimes it might just be the practice pad stuff, right? Especially if I'm traveling, you know, if I'm on the road, that's definitely an everyday thing. Days off and whatnot too, just to kind of hit the hit the pad. Because to me, the practice pad to the drummer is like the punching bag is to the boxer. This is where you refine your technique uh, work on your speed work on your endurance and, and, and keep things pretty loose now, at this stage of the game you know if I, if I miss a couple days here or there or whatever it's really no consequence because it, it's just it, it, the dropping the, 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 the has become so ingrained in my nervous system and mm-hmm. physicality if you will that it, it just almost doesn't matter however I do like to practice I do like to get better here lately as I'm looking to uh, record a new solo record next Month, yeah, now I'm back up to the you know, so I get those you know, three plus hours a day and you know, working on new stuff, really trying to take things to the next level. So it's something that I still really enjoy and, and really aspire to get in there and, and do every day, you know.
1: Awesome. Speaking of solo album. Is there going to be Any special guests On the solo album Or are you doing it all Well whenever Whenever I do Or whenever I've done Solo records in the past You know My my main Go
2: to guys um, Have always been This guitarist Named Brett Garson Um, He's an Australian Based guitarist But he's he's His own solo records And he works With a really famous artist Over there And I met him Doing the
3: Nelson gig Believe it or not Back in the early 90s Um, uh, but he's a phenomenal uh, player, and
2: and then my old Berkeley roommate, the guy named uh, Carl Carter, uh, and so those those three guys like back when Brett and I were working in the early nineties, uh, and we, we had you know, Carl was in L.A., and, and so we, this is a long story short, we just kind of the three of us had this sort of magic chemistry for for jamming together, playing together, and the, the kind of the music we do, which is this, uh, it's kind of like a. Uh, uh a funk rock type of a thing with with this you know progressive these progressive overtones to it. It's really kind of hard to describe. Almost like you know like Jeff Beck or Joe Satriani or Steve. I kind of like in that genre, you know. Awesome. And uh, so yeah, you know, we've done a couple of records in the past. We've done a lot of touring together. So I, so we're we're kind of getting back together to do another record. And this new record is a soundtrack to my latest book. The boy is gonna rock. So we're gonna do like. The these, uh, you know, adventurous instrumental versions of some of the songs that inspired the books, it inspired the story, I should say. So you know, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, <clears throat> crazy arrangements of some of those classic songs. Got a couple two, three DVD tunes we're looking at doing awesome. instrumental, kind of whacked, and so that will be the core band uh, recording the record, and, I, and, and there will be hopefully two other. special guests on a couple tracks I I haven't even talked to the special guests yet but but there there are two people I have in mind that I'd love to come on and and do some playing on this thing as well but basically this is the concept we're going to look at to kind of recreate that that band that group sound that we've had through the years and and do something really really different and cool um, that's sort of based on the, the book
3: Awesome
1: Now everybody also knows that you also are very helpful Conscious when it comes to eating and working out. Everything. Do you work out every day? I do. Okay. The, the, yeah, the, the day is rare if I if I miss some sort
2: of training. Because essentially, what what my regimen has been for quite a while now is I kind of rotate three different exercise modalities every week. You know, so there's there's going to the gym and hitting the weights. Right. There's running, uh, running, and then there's a, a martial arts practice.
1: Cool. So what kind of martial arts?
2: Any. Uh,
1: what I've been working on
2: lately is uh, kind of a combination of traditional kung fu, uh, wushu, which is like people may recognize it as like the Jet Li style, yeah. or the traditional kung fu, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do stuff, uh, mixed in with some escrima, you know, a Filipino stick fighting, and, and then just straight ahead
3: kickboxing. So my teacher Matt Emery, you know, is a is a
2: master of all of those forms, and what he does is he kind of all of those styles. So what he does is kind of a, a blend or a combination of those four different styles. So we train; it could be we you know various amounts of time dedicated to each one. So that tends to keep your your hands full of doing that kind of training. So what I'll do is on any given day I usually do. At least two of the different. Like I may run and then do some martial arts, and the next day get the weight and do some martial arts. But then if it works out, I may, I may wind up doing all three on some days. Or if I'm traveling, and, and then I, I may just do like a martial arts workout in the hotel room, or I may catch a late night workout at the hotel or gym, or go for a run real late. Or it's, it's just every day is different. so I'm constantly cycling through those those three things. But the key is is that that you know, to have those three realms of training, I think is the best way to, to really optimize your fitness. Because you got the resistance training with weights, you got the cardiovascular training with running, and then the martial arts is what I call your ultimate, like you know, function and flexibility, you know, just, you know your structure, your uh, you stay stretching, staying limber, and then all the different kinds of movements that are involved. You put all three of those things together, man, and you got all of the bases covered. Wow. So you know, it's a lifestyle thing I've been
1: doing for a lot of years, and uh, now it's just as, as much part of the routine as uh, brushing my teeth, basically. You know. Right on. So, a fan, a couple of my fans, believe it or not, I have a couple fans, but their fans are yours more than mine. But they heard that I was going to be email uh, that you've we been doing this interview, so they had a couple questions as far as in your workout routine. They wanted to know. Sure. Um, Carrie from Boston, Massachusetts is a fellow drummer as well, and he wants to know how much do you
3: bench? a bench
2: has, has never been my most impressive lift, to <laughs> put it that way, you know? Okay. So, I mean, I think that, you know, I've done like, uh, you know, 300 is probably, probably at the upper end of what I have, have done. Right. However, these days, you know, to, I, you know, to to do those lifts, where you get like, you know, two or three reps
3: and that kind of thing, right. uh, I, there's really no reason, man, at, at
2: 55, to be throwing that kind of weight around, you know? Uh, <laughs> you know might even with the squats, like I've I, I moved some pretty pretty heavy weight around squatting and deadlifting and all that. It's like, man, why? You know, <laughs> at, this, at this point? I still like to it heavy, so I'll grab like, you know, 100 pound dumbbells or something like that, or, uh, or you know, go with the lighter, or you know, 250 or something like that, I do some reps with it. So there, I still like to reach for the heavy weights, but I'm focusing a little bit more on uh, getting the, getting more reps, while still hitting the I do believe, yeah, I don't think you'd go in there and, and lift the little Deer you know, 10-pound dumbbells and all that. You still got to lose for the heavy weight. But in terms of, I think the older you get, the more conscientious you have to be, because especially these days, going in there, you're know, trying to live your know, 350 on a bench, and so like that. Now you're really subjecting your your deltoids. You're, you're asking for trouble, especially for playing drums and doing all of the other stuff. Right. Cause back in the day, when I was, when I was doing the heaviest weights, uh, I wasn't really doing other kind of training. That was all I was going and doing, and I was having like, you give know, five days of recovery between workouts, and almost like that powerlifter, bodybuilder, old school mentality back then, which is which is cool. You know, but once you bring in the
1: other modalities, and now you're Hitting the drums every day, touring, you got to factor all that in so you don't overtrain or risk injury, you know. Right, because then you can't play drums or whatever. Right, right, right. I gotcha.
2: So so that's my my excuse for uh, throwing out a bigger number. (laughs) (laughs) All
3: right,
1: nice. So I used to be in the car business and I'm a bit of a car enthusiast. Need to know, what kind of car do you drive? What other kind of car would any self-respecting vegan tree hugger in Los Angeles drive in a Prius? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) I do, man. Okay. (laughs) I didn't take you as a Prius kind of guy. I pictured, like, you know, something that's, you know, economical but something you know like sporty still and everything like that I was thinking more you know uh, some form of Benz or Mercedes because you're still really classy wow. you know That's-
3: I you know I I, I drove a van for a lot of years, man. Oh, really? Right actually, so that's a
2: that's a pretty good guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a 300 for a long time, bro. but uh, I and mean, then I had a bet before that, but an old school Stigray. But uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I it was kind of the, the thing to do for for a second there, you know, <laughs> for a hot second there, you know. I mean, right on. Like I I jumped on the bad, I jumped on the bad wagon, and uh, I still have this fucking thing, man. 170, some odd thousand miles, man. So, wow. But yeah, I, I, I think I think. Uh, but yeah, my favorite cars to drive. This is the practical thing. Is I, I, I like I like the Benz and the beamers man. Just as far as really enjoying the ride, and uh, so you know, we may have to. I might, I might go more in that direction uh, uh, when I make the, the the inevitable switch here.
1: You know. <laughs> All right. Cool. Now, when you got. Your first record deal, that was with Vinnie Vincent's Invasion? Correct. Okay, so everybody knows back in the day, it's not like it is today, but everybody knows about record advances and everything. So when you all got your advance, besides, you know, you did make some money on the advance, may I ask what you bought when you got your first advance?
2: Well understand that my arrangement with the Vinnie Vincent invasion was more along the lines of just being a hired gun oh, as okay. opposed to, you know, like, uh, you know, Motley Crue or, or Poison or one or of these, like, band, bad like, conventional band arrangements where everybody like, equal members and right. sharing and publishing and sharing the records and all that. This was essentially like a, a solo deal. In fact, Vinnie Vincent had his deal locked down with the chrysalis in the can. Uh, I imagine money had already changed hands and everything before I even came to the picture, which was either thereafter. you know, he locked his deal and he got all the guys, you know, Robert Fleischman to begin with, and then of course Dana Strum. So um, now having said that, as I as I talked about in my latest book, you know, the the arrangement I had was what we call kind of a hybrid arrangement in that you're basically a hired gun, but you also have a little bit of equity in the record and some other things. so okay. called token equity. So if the record were to, would, would have gone through the roof, then I could have, you know, could have been some decent money involved with that, you know. So really, the advance, if you will, just came in the form of just a, a basic, you know, a wage, a, 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 a studio wage to go in and, and, and play on the record, uh, essentially. And so the, the 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 big the big purchase, if you will, was uh, it wasn't anything too wasn't a lot of money, first of all, and, and it wasn't anything too impressive. I just remember that I I went in the studio in fall of '85, right, uh, leading up to Christmas. So I was able to, to I bought my parents like a. Uh, uh, but like, what was uh What was it? I mean, no, it's the home entertainment thing would be next year. I think, I think it was, a, I think it was a VCR. Okay. Back then.
1: <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with that. That was expensive back in
2: 85. Yeah, well, yeah. It's like, you know, I, I, well, I know you're so uh, I, I find a new vet, and I put it down, payment on a house. But no, no, no. Was like, I bought my parents a VCR, and that was like, uh, uh, that, that was that was a that was a, a, a lot of money back up, you know, relatively speaking, you know.
3: Absolutely. The whole days. remember
2: those yeah,
1: Absolutely. Well, when I interviewed Perry Richardson, the new bass player to Striper, was the original bass player to Firehouse, he said his first okay. advance, he bought his dad a satellite dish. And I didn't think that was funny or anything because, you know what, those things back in the day weren't cheap either, you know? So, I totally think that's freaking awesome that you, you know, bought a VCR, you know? So, all right, that's very cool. Right on. All right, so you drive a Prius. Got to know, what's in the CD player right now?
2: What I do is old school hook up the, uh, you know, those... Uh, uh, what do you call it That, that
1: adapts Yeah play. the cassette adapter Yeah
2: exactly, exactly. So for me man uh, I'm a Spotify guy Okay So I got uh, I got everything under the sun in there And it could be You know Any, any number of things That I'll play When I'm cruising around uh, in Any number of different albums From any Different kind of genre Uh here lately, I've been kind of delving back off into a lot of the older, you know, sort of classic, what we call classic rock stuff, you know, that uh, sort of old records convention that's kind of helping to narrow down some of the choices that we might make to do some, some different arrangements over the record. Uh, but I so a lot of it is just I, I like just a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of the straight ahead favorites from back in the day. That
1: and of course the Spotify, the cool thing is you can, you know, you can look at say, you know, the old uh, Deep Purple, Major Pan you get the, the deep cuts or the all the alternative cuts and this kind of thing. Awesome. I think that's kind of interesting I, to listen to, you
2: know. I uh, agree. And then for them, I just don't watch them. You know, I like uh, some of the jazz greats, John Coltrane, Miles Davis. Gotcha. They played some crazy ass shit back then, man. So I'll, I'll play some of that stuff. So you can really
1: it's quite a mixed bag of stuff when I get in just based on the mood I'm in at the time you know gotcha alright so speaking of a mixed bag and everything if you got to play with any dead or alive musician that you haven't played with yet who would it be with and why well speaking of John Coltrane who I just mentioned, uh, this guy through also this was one of the most influential and innovative jazz musicians ever. True. And uh, back back in then, back in the,
2: to me, the sixties were really his heyday as a solo artist and uh and they, played, they were playing some crazy shit back then, man. And there's there's just something about like those recordings and the sound and how he played and the how it was him Improvisational uh, oriented it was, and, and all of those things that—that's probably you know, in terms of someone who's already passed. That, that
3: would be someone who I, I would have been or would be interested in in, in jabbing with you know, awesome.
2: to see what would happen. Right on. To see what would happen, you know.
1: Cool.
2: As far as a live. Uh, you know there's a lot of guys I still would would like to to jam with I, I mean, I'm gonna say Santana awesome I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say yeah i can say say cause he you know, he's been through a, quite a, a mixed bag of stuff through the years and of course he has the the Latin pitch thing going on with the percussion guys and all that so that I love that music man and that would be fun to get in there and slow down with Carlos awesome you know
1: okay now through the years you've played with some great and you've toured throughout the world and everything have you ever gotten starstruck have uh, I ever gotten starstruck that's a that's a good question uh, like say yeah, you, the only you, thing is, right, right, don't, don't
2: get it pop, here's the only thing that pops to mind the only thing that pops to mind and, and, and let me just clarify this by saying that you know there have been times when you know out on the road where we'll run into you know, uh, you know someone who again you know, you know, I grew up listening to who I really admired or something like that you know. Okay. And uh, I, I remember I remember you know uh, just as an example I, I played at this this John Bonham tribute concert back in the early nineties and Ian Pace was there you know. Wow. So it was like. Okay, wow! but like, here is my guy, man. You know, I, li- I listened to him so much growing up that wow, yeah, there he is. That kind of thing, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, then you're, you're you know, you're uh, controlled, and you go up and say hello, and, and you pass up like a no big deal. But that, that's something I was at, You know, when you when you meet somebody been that influential, it it's, it. it uh, it hits it, you, you know. Beyond that, the only time I was really starstruck or I would not have even thought about going to the person was, I saw, uh, again, back in the probably late 80s, back in the DVI days, actually, uh, okay. I saw uh, Muhammad Ali at a restaurant in, you know, in Beverly Hills out here in L.A. Right, and uh, and, and this motherfucker, I like, had such an aura about him, and, and of course this is, uh, you know, uh, he, he had he had a, a, like a clique of people around him and all of that, but it was like, it, nor would I have attempted to go up and say anything, but it was like I remember, remember seen that guy go like bad. This guy's like from another planet, you know. Absolutely. I'll admire from I'll admire from afar over here, you know.
1: Right. I hear you. I met uh Joe Frazier years ago. Oh shit. Yeah, I met him in Atlantic City and everything like that. Uh I got lost in the Tropicana casino and hotel. Uh, They were doing a fundraiser for juvenile diabetes. And I have an older brother that's an insulin dependent diabetic. So I strayed away from my parents and my brother. And I'm like six years old, seven years old. And I got lost. So of course, I'm wandering the hotel looking around. And then Uh, I went to the security. I said, I kind of misplaced my parents. They're like, all right, come with us. Do you know your parents' name? Yes, I gave them my parents' name. They're like, great. How about this? Um, We'll get them. And they called them on the walkie-talkie. My dad came down. He goes, where'd you go? I'm like, I don't know. I just started wandering. He's like, okay. Well... Here's the thing. You got to stay by me. I'm like, okay. He's like, your brother and your mother are upstairs, so just hang out with me. I'm like, okay. So we go in the elevator, and I see this African American gentleman with this beautiful, like, gold. At the time, this is the early early eighties and everything like that. So it wasn't quite bling called bling at the time, right, was, right, right. You know, but he had this beautiful, like, medallion around his necklace. And my dad's like, "Do you know who that is?" I'm like, "No." He was like, "That's Smoking Joe Frazier." I'm like, "Why do I know that name?" I'm like, "Is he related to Walt Frazier?" And he's, I didn't know any better, you know. And he goes, "He's like." That's the one that That's the famous boxer That fought Muhammad Ali I'm like The thrill of Manila He's like Exactly So I went up to him oh, You
3: knew do, you do that even right?
1: Yeah Because my grandfather Got me into boxing As a young kid Boxing and right. baseball And he goes So I go up to him then, what, 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 I'm sorry What did you say The was Boxing and Baseball yeah, me too, man. Cool. So, and, yeah, so he's, so I went up to him. I'm like, excuse me, Mr. Fraser." He's like, yes, son? I'm like, my name's Steve. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I've watched you box quite a few times. He's
3: like, boy, what do
1: you know about boxing? You're only, well, how old are you? And at the time, I was like seven or eight years old. And he goes, really? I'm like, yeah, my grandfather, uh, actually let me watch the fights with him. Uh, and I think he should have won. And he's like, well thank you young man, what's your name? I'm like, Steve. I'm like, "Can I trouble you for an autograph? He's like, sure. He's like, and he's like, he had like, not a bodyguard, I guess like his posse around him. And he snapped his fingers and he's like, what do I have to sign for Steve? They're like, nothing. He's like, you're done with your Sprite. So he, he gave a styrofoam cup and wrote on the styrofoam cup um, with a pen, you know, to Steve, right. you know, if someone wants to hit you, make sure you duck, Joe Fraser. Oh, oh, yeah. so, badass man, badass. Yeah, it was very awesome. So. But I've been through quite a wow. few boxing That's matches cool. myself. I saw Tyson fight, you know, I got to see right. who else was it. Uh, I've seen Tyson fight a couple times when he fell out, uh, what's his name, Leon Sphinx? Yes. Yeah. Oh wait. Or Cooney? Uh, uh, Cooney? Michael Sphinx. Michael Sphinx, yeah. Right. And I also saw... By there's way, there's a 30 for 30 ES, on ESPN, you know, that documentary series they have. Yeah. Uh, th- th-
2: there's a new one about the whole Buster Douglas thing. Oh, and that's
1: the other fight I, it's called, I saw. It's
2: called like, I think it's called 42 to 1 or 40, something like that. Uh, I saw that shit go down on, on uh, back in the day, whatever, whatever the mode, got cable, you
3: pack 50 bucks a fight, remember about this? I, I I I watched that
2: shit live. Just not even. I used to, you know, I just I figured it was another one of these, you know, uh, you know, twenty five dollar a round, uh, you know. Stuff, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because back then, Tyson, you know, his first second round, the guy was gonna be gone, you know. So, but that's yeah, that's a, a kick ass documentary for any boxing fan, any sports fan, really. Okay. The odds and, and every, all this, the series of events that led up to
1: that. If you're a boxing guy, you love that. But go ahead. Man. Absolutely, I will definitely have to check that out. So, yeah, that's my brush with only the, when I met him. And then, of course, because Tyson used to live in New Jersey, and don't hold it against me. I live in New Jersey. um I met him a couple times because he used to live with the car franchise I used to work for the owner because I do their voiceovers um, lived next to Tyson and I would go over to his house and I would see Tyson outside and this is when he was married to Robin Gibbons so that is my brush with boxers so yeah All right. so musician friends besides your bandmates of course Um, When you're in town, I know sometimes they give you a call. You call them and say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's grab something to eat or let's hang out before the show. Who are they?
3: I I wouldn't do that. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. Yeah, and not for any reason personal towards my friends, but just by... Uh, my, my, my social my, my, my social groove or whatever I think what it is is you know when you're when you're on the road you know there's uh, all of this activity you know it's, it's a series of this time go here by that time. check is here. Back to the hotel. Then back to the show. Then pre-show ritual. Uh, you know, after the show, to show ritual. Back to the hotel early lobby. It's just you know, it, it's so regimented and crazy um, that whenever I'm back home, it's a it's a different case. It's a different kind of thing, and
3: I I tend to not do much socializing. If I'm just being honest, you know? right. uh, And a lot of it has to do with you know the my my lifestyle here. Between the, the
2: training, the practicing, and of course the writing, there's usually always something I'm working on in terms of writing and that. So it's just every day is kind of like a, a,
3: a juggling act of getting through all these different things, which
2: I which is not a drag. In any anyway, all shit that I still really love to do, but it makes uh, planning, you know, uh,
3: difficult. Uh, hey, I'll be here at seven thirty or whatever. It's hard to to really make
2: plans and really uh, have any kind of a, of a social social vibe, I never really go out or I go to shows or clubs or anything like that. Uh, so it's kind of a monastic life, I guess you might say. But it's what's worked for me through the years, and so I, I wouldn't really be inclined to socialize in, in, in the conventional way with a lot of my musician friends. However, I do know a lot of the guys, and we tend to run into each other more away from LA
3: than in LA. <laughs> Like that. You have some of these, these festival dates that we'll do that have
2: multiple bands on there you run into your, your gang there and, and uh, that kind of thing as opposed to uh, a kind of hang, hang
1: time basically. Right on. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when you hear your music with all the projects that you've done through the years on the radio see either satellite radio or terrestrial radio, if and when you do listen to it? Do you turn it up or do you turn it off? I think, uh, I guess because I'm not necessarily a big radio guy in terms of going,
3: you know, I think my go-to source to listen to a lot of music. Right. I think just the novelty of oh wow, if there's a play in such and such. Right. Probably just
2: would probably Cosby just turn it up and you know bask in the nostalgia of, of what it was like to record it. And kind of you know what, what was going on in you know, life back when it was on when that shit was hitting you know and, and, and that kind of thing. So I think I think I'd probably be more inclined uh, to to turn it up.
1: Right on. Okay. Now if you weren't a rock star as you are what kind of if you didn't go pursue that career what do you think you would be doing well uh I, mean, can
3: I can I still hit the drums but not be a rock star? Yeah. If I, if I wasn't a musician. I wasn't an musician. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine not playing. So, wherever I would, I, I, I'd, I'd be playing somewhere, you know. I don't care if it's at a fucking Holiday Inn. I'd be playing somewhere, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, no matter what, uh, one way or the other. Uh, but, if you're asking me if, if you know, if I you could not be a musician anymore, couldn't play anymore. I think I, I I think I'd probably you know, just do I'd probably be a writer full time. because right now that's something that I, I, I still do an awful lot of and that's something I've kind of had as a second career through the years anyway. Right. Less uh, less notable you know I, I think most people know that I do it but may not know to the extent I'm, that I've done it But like, so I think, uh, I think I think that would be the, be the move I think I would just I think I would focus all my uh, my energy on, on just uh, on writing
1: at that point cool alright a couple more questions and then I'll let you head out as far as in new bands is there any new bands that you listen to that you're like wow these guys are great or wow, these
3: guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you
2: know, if, if I'm being honest, uh, there are, and again, this, this is where Spotify really comes in handy, you know? Yeah, that's but why I, I brought do, that question like, up. I, Right, I, I like to like to keep up. Mm-hmm. I like to, to just listen to the latest and the greatest and new bands and and, uh, and and see who's doing what and, and, and check some shit out there. It's funny because you know, I, I'm not great with band names or band members, and this is kind of a this is a phenomenon that that I just I've noticed since the '90s, you know, since the the you know post quote unquote. Hair metal era, right? Is that we you know you know a song and probably know the band but may not know anybody's name in the band kind of thing mm-hmm. I like some of the, the biggest bands that, that sold the most records through the 90s and beyond I, I don't know these motherfuckers names I may even like <laughs> the song because the band sounds good but it's just so it's it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, of a strange phenomenon that I noticed versus prior to that you know through the 70s and 80s or all that you knew you knew the, you know, the bass player for this band, the drummer for that, we just knew who everybody was in the band, you know, so it, it, it's, there, there's, there's a strange sort of anonymity that I've noticed, and obviously if you're a real fan of, of a bigger band, then you're gonna be out to, to know all the guys and all that, but, uh, but anyway, the, 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 I guess, I guess the, the, the main observation I've had uh, with, with you know, and I'm using this as a blanket statement, this is not, I'm not saying this is true across the board 100% of the time, but in general, if I'm being honest, I just feel like the modern production protocol, you know, the way records are being made these days, and in the advent of digital recording, where shit is getting sliced and diced and, and uh, uh, made to be perfect, if you will, you know, uh, with, with a lot of those kind of techniques, and then where drum sounds are, they're using this, what they call beat replacer, where you or sound replace so where, you, where you could you know, take the guy's snare drum and swap out the way the snare drum really sounded in the studio with this other quote unquote bigger better sounding snare drum kind of thing you know and and in between that and all the digital manipulation and all instruments the guitar tracks the bass tracks and all of those things while I recognize that it, it sounds impressive sonically with a lot of the, the music it, it, it's, it's almost like a form of ear fatigue to listen to it in a sense can it's right. explain, it's like uh, when, I, when I listen to it and it's so pristine and so perfect that I feel like all of the individuality of the players
3: of the musicians have been kind of, you know, uh, homogenized out of it kind of like, you know? Right on. So you go, wow, it sounds
2: killer. It's an incredible mix. The sonics are bumping. The the low end and this, that and the other. But I I very seldom get the sense when I listen to a lot of the modern music that there are, you know, wow, it has a feeling that there are four or five guys in a room jamming together. I don't get that feeling. I get the feeling that the drummer went first and then they went and they they played You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's just an observation, and I have no real opinion about it or judgment about it. I understand it's the modern way that things are being done, and the records sound killer in terms of just the raw sonics. But I just feel like There's uh, You know I, I'm sure I sound Very old school right now You know I give you my vinyl records And all that But, it, but it's It's uh, but I, you know, And maybe that's what Because I just grew up On that You know on, on that That vibe Where you got the sense When you listen to a, a Black Sabbath record That you know These guys were probably All in the room
3: together Man Right uh, Minus Minus Odyssey Or whatever You know I jammed it You could feel the shit Moving around You know It's speeding up A little bit slowing in And And uh,
2: so I guess because I grew up in that culture, and as a musician and someone who appreciates, you know, listening to stuff where, you know that, that was created through guys jamming together, this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I still favor that sound, you know. Uh, so these are the things. But yeah, when I do this, uh, you know, this, this record, you know, I'm looking to capture that vibe, you know, the, the idea that when you're listening to something, well, I'm listening to a to a live performance. In fact, one other thing I'll mention about this, i remember back in the day, back in the, the recording with Benny or even the Nelson Brothers or any you know, record I did back then, that, that we always tried to get a take like in one pass. Like if you could get like a, you know, like a, uh, a, a, a start, like, you know, a, a complete start to finish pass of the song uh, without having to do any fixes, without having to jump in and, and fix this still or fix this part there. It was like, even if it was a little imperfect because we knew wow you got that one pass let's keep it so and now I could even tell you what songs that those that we that wound up being a one pass take but we just we took such pride in the craftsmanship of wow I, I went in there and I was able to get a song in one pass other times you know, you, it's, it's one complete take but you may go in and fix this still here and fix this accent there you know they can push you in and out and that's just part of the, the recording process but it was still based on a a, a complete performance you know but these days with your drum tracks and vocals and all that you know they can take the first four bars from take number one and then add it to, you know, the, the, the second verse of the take number three. It and, and so it's like this. And the listener would never know that it's like a hodgepodge thing, but it, it's, with all of that slicing and and dicing, you're not ever really hearing uh, a, 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 somebody who's played a complete performance from start to finish anymore, you know? Right. So, I don't, not to go on a tirade here, but I guess
1: no. probably some of the, old, the, the older school sensibilities that, uh, still somehow matter to me you know right I like how they used to go all used to go in the studio The you know the drummer and the bass player the guitarist if there was a keyboardist would go in one room and then there was like the vocal right. would do it in another room but basically they would all record all at the same time Instead of this right, cut together. Right, that's, 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 you know, right. Like today and that's, that's what cool, they do. But, that,
2: that, that's preferable, but, but, even, but even if you gotta do it separately, which a lot of times logistics dictates that the approach I I still like to take is that, you know, you play the fucking song down from top to bottom. You right. Know, you know, sort of this okay, play the first verse and stop and let's go in and, and uh hack away at it. That's, you know, let me play the motherfucker down. I remember doing and uh this, this is it's actually been a few years now, but you know, it's like a new school guy who wanted me to play a, a section at a time and then go in and tweak and I had to go on to the next section. I said, bro, look at that. I know you want to do some tweaking and you want to do some editing. Let me play the motherfucker down from top to bottom so I can give you like a complete natural performance. Even though I'm playing with the click, I might lean on the click a little bit as to go into the chorus. I might settle back down to the pocket a little bit we go to the second verse. Well, let me just play the motherfucker down. Like I would really play it. You know, so you have like a complete performance. And then we'll go in and, uh, and, and do your tweaks, and you can you know slice and dice and all that. So, I, so that guy went and was doing a few different takes from just top to bottom. And then I went out and had some Chinese food. When he went in there and did all this point extra shit and just sliced it up as he wanted to. But at least I felt like okay, you're
1: working with some performances now instead of this you know piecemealing the to track together. <laughs> right. <know>? Absolutely. <laughs> nice. All right. A yeah. couple more questions. Any advice for up-and-coming musicians? You know, it, it's, it's hard to advise in these days on the business side of things because
3: it's all changing so much. Right. You know, the model for how music
2: gets to the listener. I mean, back in the old days, you know, you got a record deal, you did a video,
3: you did, you did Photo stuff, you jump on a tour, the label helped subsidize the tour, the headliner didn't pay you enough to open for them.
2: You go do record store appearance. There was was like an assembly line process in the industry for a lot of years. And all of that has changed now in the advent of all this technology and, and streaming and, and the digital formats and, and the multiple ways that people can hear you know, YouTube is the new MTV etc, cetera, etc cetera. Spotify is the new radio station you know so it, it's uh, so, so that it, it's hard to even know you know what what the ways are of doing that I think all musicians have to be they have to pay closer attention to the business side of it and recognize that that's all part of it now how you get out there and how your band uh, hear Situation, how, you know, how the shit is marketed, quote unquote, how it gets to, to the people. That's good. that's that's a big part of you know uh, understanding uh, the 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 you know how the how the, how the machinery works there. That's the difference between being a hobbyist and being a professional. you know? Gotcha. So that, that's going to be that, that's going to be the, the, an ongoing an ongoing thing. There are, there are new ways and, and uh, there, there are new methods and all that that are that are coming out all the time for doing that and hope you don't continue to change. So so that aside, what I would say is, you know, uh, man, uh Ultimately, I still feel like it's all about the craft. It has to always be, at the end of the day, about your craft, about spending time working on your instrument, working on your vocals, your, your singer, always trying to get better. Uh, I remember that, that band director, Miss Thompson, who I mentioned early on, who was a big influence. And I even mentioned this right at the I dedicated the book to her because she was so influential. One of the big things she told me was good musicianship never goes out of style. So the ability to play, the ability, the ability to, uh, you know, get in the practice room and, and always spend the time each day concentrating on your craft and put down the fucking, you should shut off the smartphone, shut off the technology and really immerse yourself in your instrument every day, man, because early on, you know, there's that saying, you know, if, every, if anybody wants to master something has to spend ten thousand hours doing it to really be at that uh, high level. So when you're young, that's when it's time to rack up all those hours every day, you know. That's what we did, man You know, Absolutely. seven, eight hours a day. You know, so and, and that and that's why, you know, depositing into, into your savings account, you know, so that shit will pay dividends later. because ultimately, you know, you gotta play, man. You gotta be able to play. <laughs> you know, so uh, so that, that's what I you know, again another old school concept I guess but that, that's something I would tell yeah, the, you know listen to a lot of different kinds of music, pay attention to how your fellow drummers or fellow guitarists or bass players, whatever, you know, things they're doing, how they're interacting with other musicians, uh, listen, 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 and then spend all that time practicing so you can stockpile, you know, your your technique and and, uh, and, and you know and obviously you want to always try to play as much as possible as well so you're not just in the practice room. But that's the thing, man. Yourself
1: in craft, you know? Awesome. All right. Now it's time to plug away as far as in where we can find you and such, and what's in the near future besides the solo album. So, forms of social yeah. media. You are on all forms. I'm correct? Yeah. I think so Facebook Instagram Twitter yeah awesome now is it Uh, you that's on it or do you have someone to assist you with it I do all the posts uh, but I, I I'm
3: not very good at reading the comments and, and doing that
2: uh, <laughs> okay. doing all of that you know okay. uh, so and, and, and again that goes back to what I just said about shutting off the smartphone and you know putting your head down and So for me it's, it's, it's all the stuff I do every day I, it's kind of a kind of a, 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 a practice I try to maintain where I, I try to avoid the rabbit hole of you know reading going back and you know, uh, reading comments and doing all that kind of Thing. If I'm just being transparent with you know, right. friends, here. You Absolutely. Know? So I do, I, I do my own post, though. I'd like, yeah, well, we should have that personal touch, you know. Good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll put together whatever, whatever the thing. I'm going to talk about a show coming up, whatever it is, you know. And that's usually the last I see of it. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so, yeah, man, the, all the, yeah, I think the, the BobbyRock.com, it, it, even if you go to that landing page there, it's all on the on that page. I think it's all the, the links to the the, the the social media stuff, the different sections of the web and there's also like a live dates page. So all the, the leader forward stuff is usually updated pretty regularly on there. Okay. And, uh, and so
3: twenty nineteen is shaping up really nice, so we'll be we'll be doing a lot of stuff there. There's a a big summer tour that I understand is confirmed, but we're not able to announce it just yet but, but
2: sooner than later we should be able to that'll be on there as well. So we'll do more of a you know standard bus tour kind of thing in the, over the summer it looks like and between now and then of
3: course there's a lot of the same you know uh, weekend dates right. and fly dates as we call them right
2: and so all that all that's updated pretty steadily out there you know awesome
1: alright so thank you so much for taking the opportunity to speak with me I very much appreciate it uh, thanks for having me man no very interesting interview alright I hope you had a good time as much as I Enjoy speaking cool. with you. Very cool. Uh, and then, when you do come to town, I'll have some more chili for you. You know, so, man, do, do, do your listeners know about your cooking skills? Not really. I tell them I can burn water. <laughs> no,
2: man, no. Okay. Your listeners should know that you you had mentioned on what uh, on, I guess that that Friday or that Saturday that you had made some vegan chili and you're gonna bring back a sample for me, which you did. Right. And that that shit was popping, man. Thank you. Really, it was it was excellent.
1: Thank you like I said you might have to put it on your rider yeah. Yeah, you know put it on your rider and then tell George Marshall that you want me as the tour manager and then I'll make it every time you know through the tour
3: oh.
1: <laughs> nice. You know? nice I'll work that angle It was impressive man really, very good very thank you with that. and last but not least the one question of the day and I, this is going to get me in a shit ton of trouble but I'm going to go for it anyway Oh, shit. Here we go, Vinny Vincent, guy or girl?
3: <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, until and, 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 and unless he says otherwise, he
2: is Vinny Vincent, man. I, that's exactly. All I think we could really go with, you know, it's, 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 uh, that's all I can really say. You know, he's always, and, and unless he states otherwise, it's it's, it's, a,
1: it's a he.
3: He's a he. You
1: know, saying, you know? Right on. Okay. Thanks, Bob. I really much appreciate it and you as well. Right now, brother. All right. We're
0: good, man. Psycho Steve presents. Today, day, tomorrow, tomorrow. You can hear more from Psycho Steve on Hair Today on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve. For requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries, email us at psychostevepresents at gmail.com. Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow is brought to you by Pearl's Enterprises LLC. Please join Psycho Steve every Wednesday and Friday here on Hair Today.